Thank you, John. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. If you have a prayer slip or a visitor slip, we'd love to have them. Would you pass them to the center aisle? And we will pray for you this week. Romans chapter 8, two verses this morning. On putting sin to death, as Paul really presents the, the case for sanctification and our need to pursue the Lord in every area of our life, putting off that which is sinful and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been reading as a staff this book by Paul Tripp called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. I've referenced it several times over the last few months. And Paul Tripp describes the danger and tragedy of forgetting who we are in Jesus Christ. He writes, when you forget your identity and the riches that are yours in Christ, you live like a poor person. In Philadelphia, where he lives, it has been reported that 4,489 homeless people live on the streets. Their lives are little more than finding something to eat and somewhere to sleep. At the end of the day, they are happy simply to have a place to lay their head in peace. They don't ask for more. Many people in the midst of a struggle live as if they were spiritually homeless. They live the same survivalist, distracted, fearful, escapist, and for the moment existence. They do not think about growth and change or pursue the good things that are their inheritance as children of God. They just try to get through the day. They live as if they were poor when in fact they are amazingly rich. The Apostle Paul, writing with an inspired pen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes the believer's position and power with a simple phrase, we are in Christ and the Spirit of God dwells within us. That's a reality. That is something we're to acknowledge. And it really is the key, I think, to having change in your life and in mine. How many here today have something in their life for which they want changed? How does that happen? Well, I could point you to a lot of how-to videos, uh, self-help starters, um, how-to books, um, but really for the believer, change being conformed into the image of Christ is a lifelong journey that begins at conversion and continues as long as we walk in this world, our faith being refined, our, the Spirit of God moving and molding us into the image of Christ. As we look at our Bibles in Romans 8, we pick up in verse 1, there's no condemnation in Christ. I hope you feel that through the preaching of God's word here. That yes, we are under sin, we are under the punishment of sin, but praise be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ who has delivered us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when you come to him in the open arms of faith, there's no condemnation. The condemnation, the judgment has been lifted to walk in newness of life. Verse 2 says that we've been set free from the bondage of sin and death. That's a universal sentence. No one can read that and say, well, you know, that, that's how some people live. That's how some people are. No, this is a universal assessment. And that in verses 3 and 4, Christ accomplished what the law could not do. God gave the law through Moses, through the nation of Israel, but we are not saved by law keeping. In fact, we'll find, if we're very honest, that we'll see we've broken God's law many times over. 
Notice in verses 5 through 11, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So powerful does Paul want to communicate that truth that he says in verse 9, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. So we are in Christ, in that spiritual union uh, in Christ. And we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. This is exactly what Jesus promised in the upper room. When he said, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. One just like me is going to come and will be with you and will be in you. And so our text today is really at the heart of true change that comes from being in Christ and having the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, I would change if, if I had an experience. I would change if you would just give me a method or a slogan. And I'll try to work that in and incorporate it into my life. Someone said that if you do something for 30 days, you, you know, you'll uh, you stop doing it or, or, or continue doing it, whatever you're trying to do. That's not the kind of change we're talking about. This is a walk of faith with the living God. This is an aspect, if you're a Christian, your sanctification is an aspect of your redemption. It's what it means to live the Christian life. So think with me for a moment this morning at, be, at, at the reality of being in Christ and being in Christ, you have everything that you need. You're fully equipped. You have everything God has for you. Which leads us to the first point. We are not spiritually destitute. And in Christ, we are not spiritually destitute. He says, so then, or therefore, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Um, that's not our calling. And that flesh is our, our sin nature. And while we've been forgiven of it and delivered from it so that no condemnation rests on us, Christ bore it all on the cross. We contend with it regularly. It rears its ugly head sometimes with a vengeance. And we wonder sometimes in tears, how long am I going to have to carry this around with me? Is there any hope for me to ever change? I, I don't doubt when we gather on Sundays, some are really on, on the edge of just saying, what's the use? Why continue to battle? The frustration level is high. I'm wanting you to take a step back and I'm wanting you to think about what it means to be in Christ. That he's with you, he's for you. Could I remind you that Romans 8 says there's no condemnation in Christ? And then the chapter, Romans 8 ends, nothing can separate you from the love of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What a tremendous encouragement. We are not spiritually destitute. So then, brothers, Paul is writing to fellow believers in the church at Rome, and God promises victory over the flesh. The New Testament presents the believer as being enriched, blessed beyond measure. Uh, through the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Listen to a couple of other letters that Paul uh, wrote in the New Testament. To the Corinthians, he said to them in chapter 1, I give thanks to, God, to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you've been enriched. You've been enriched in him in all speech and all wisdom. He's given to you everything you need for life and godliness. To the Ephesians, he said in chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
I cannot um, escape the thought every time I read that verse. So there's some things you'll hear me say over and over and over again. And every time I read that verse, I think of Dr. Jerry Brazil during my seminary years who suffered with Parkinson's, I believe. And part of his therapy was you got to keep moving if you have Parkinson's. And so uh, he would walk around the campus and he would really go at a slow gait and he'd have to walk with his head uh, uh, backwards and just to, to... keep going to help with his therapy. And on one day he was walking around the campus and one little boy saw him and he said to his mother, he walks like a rich man. In Christ you are rich. You're lacking nothing. You're not a spiritually homeless person going and scraping off a piece of pizza off the cardboard just to make it through another day. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Well, how come I feel so bad? How come I'm struggling the way I do? That's part of the warfare of this world. But it's not not that you're deficient. God has supplied everything you need in Jesus Christ. You're rich indeed in him. And to the Romans, he, he writes here in verse 12, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but to the spirit. Every biblical call to action in the believer's life is based on the blessing of his promises that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a sermon that is saying to you, do better, try harder. This is a, a sermon that's saying, wow, look what God's done in my life. I, there was nothing I could do to save myself. There was nothing I could do to earn that. And God has redeemed my life from destruction and he's crowned me with loving kindness and tender mercy, Psalm 103 says. His Holy Spirit dwells within me. I'm a child of his. As long as I draw breath into eternity itself, I am his. Every true believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them and this new life is characterized by change. I remember John Newton saying, I'm not what I want to be, but I'm not what I was. God is doing a work in us. Do you see growth in your life? Well, it seems mighty slow, Pastor. I think the call of the day is I want to honor the Lord with every ounce of my being and to call upon him. So then, because the Spirit of God dwells within us, we're not to live for the flesh. Notice with me, secondly, in Christ, we owe our flesh nothing to put it to death. We owe our flesh nothing. We owe the Spirit of God everything. So it really is a matter of allegiance. Thinking about the Christian life, every day we're we're beginning anew by saying, Lord, I'm yours. I'm surrendered to you. I'm yielded to you. I don't want to live according to the flesh. I want to live according to the Spirit. That's how a believer thinks. A believer does not think, well, you know, I'm glad I have Christ. It's kind of a Insurance policy, uh, I'm going to go and live for myself. I'm going to feed my flesh. I'm going to do whatever I want, but it's okay because I've got Christ over here and I'll come back to him every now and then just to clear my conscience a bit. That's not how a believer thinks. A believer thinks, I owe my flesh nothing but to put it to death. And I owe the spirit of God who dwells within me everything because he is the one who's guiding me and directing me and has regenerated me. 
The psalmist wrote, I love to piggyback on the psalms and kind of peek over their shoulder and look at uh, what they say, and, and it helps me with my prayer. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 116, O Lord, I'm your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. You have made me new. You have set me free. And so we owe our flesh nothing. In Christ, we are not spiritually destitute. In Christ, we owe our flesh nothing and we owe the Spirit of God everything. Lord, here I am. Use me. Help me to live for your glory. Notice with me thirdly, we are given power to change. We're given power to change. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if you die, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's verse 13. Our sin nature shows up through the vehicle of our body. We are not to think our body is evil and to be thrown off. That's not the New Testament picture. In fact, at the end of the story, we see that we're in resurrected bodies. It's a sin nature. We're to refuse the drives and desires of our crucified sin nature to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. The old sinful nature may present its demands based upon the past, but we have no obligation to cooperate with it. Is there anything in your Christian life that says, no, I can't do that? I'm redeemed from that. I'm saved from that. I can't go that path any longer. That's what he's talking about here. The Spirit of God that dwells within me the one I'm commanded not to quench or grieve, but to be led by. He is the one I surrender to today as I'm dealing with changes in my life. And here's the battle as we have drives and desires and want-tos. And part of the living, living the Christian life is, is really going through the labor of saying, is this what God wants me to be doing? How can I continue on in this direction since I'm a child of the King? The old sinful nature may present its demands based upon our past, but we have no obligation to cooperate with it, and that's where the battle is. Who am I going to live for? James Boyce describes the pull in a letter he received from a friend. I once re- he says, I once received a letter from an old friend whom I had not seen in four or five years, and it contained an old problem. Two years earlier, she had begun to date a man who was not a Christian. At the beginning of the relationship, when she had raised the question of religion, he just brushed it off, claiming to be an agnostic. My friend reasoned that the relationship would not last anyway, so she dropped the subject. But the relationship did last, and there came a day where she discovered she really loved him. And yet he had no interest in becoming a Christian. Of course she prayed, but God had not answered her prayer by bringing the man to faith, and now she had a twofold problem. One was how to find strength to break off the relationship, which she knew she should do, and the second was with God. Why was God not intervening to bring her friend to Christ? The relationship mattered to her. She had prayed for his salvation. There seemed to be no other men around who were Christians. What was wrong? In fact, in looking 
back over her life, she had begun to wonder if God was, had ever intervened in a special way in her life at all. And if he had, why was she to assume she had a special relationship with him? Or for that matter, why was she to believe that God was even there? Boyce concludes, the letter expressed a very common dilemma that is pertinent to what we're talking about now. One that you and I may have experienced. Your specifics probably differ. The problem may be a a job-related situation, a, a habit of sin needing to be overcome, some puzzling choice needing to be made, but the questions are the same. How can you do the right thing in your particular difficult situation? And why doesn't God intervene in some way to work the problem out? The answers of those important questions are what this section of Romans 8 is all about. And these verses Paul is talking about our obligation to honor Christ in the decisions and the commitments of our life. And we're called to live a holy life. We're called to be set apart for the honor of our Savior. We're called no longer to walk according to the course of this world. Sanctification doesn't come by methods. It doesn't come by slogans. It, it doesn't come by, all I need is an experience. All I need is to read the book or to watch the, the videos or to go to the seminar. But that's not what ultimately, and I'm not minimizing spiritual discipline. We'll get to that in a moment. But we must not look for a silver bullet to somehow transform our life. This is a daily walk with Christ. A daily walk with him. That's why I think church commitment is so important. What we do on Sunday when we gather as a body is we really, it's really, um, you know, against the stream of culture. We actually set aside about an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half to be still, to think, to pray to sing, to give 40 minutes or so to an exposition of scripture. (laughs) Who does that? (laughs) You know, I just reminded of Bill Gates once again. Uh, You know, my Sundays, I I got lots of demands in my life. I can think of better ways to spend my Sunday that are more practical. I can't think of a better way for a believer to spend a Sunday that's more practical and more helpful and more God-honoring than to come and to say, Lord, you are my Lord, and I come with my brothers and sisters, and I want to declare my allegiance to you. Sanctification doesn't come by methods or slogans or experiences. It comes by walking each day by faith and obedience, using the means of grace that God has given. What are these means of grace? Well, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. To be led by the Spirit, that's verse 14, that's next week. The Word of God, which I think is the most neglected resource in in our generation, is a lamp and a light to guide us. Oh, we we exist to promote the, the intake of God's Word in your life and in mine so that it would speak to the needs of your life, but it can't speak to the needs of your life if you neglect it. I love Spurgeon's comment. Some, some people neglect their Bible to the point to where you could write damnation and dust on the cover of it. Because it just sits and collects dust. It's to be savored. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. The Word of God is a lamp and a light. Prayer is a privilege. 
That's a means of grace to commune with God, to confess your sins, to ask for help. James says you have not because you, you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. To serve the Lord by serving others, to fulfill a ministry in this body, that's a means of grace. To build your life around a local church. We completed our third wedding this spring, last night. A wonderful occasion, all three of them have been. And I just, in spending time with those couples, I'll say something to this effect, right on the border of being obnoxious. I'll say, look at me. You need to build your life around a local church. You need it. You need the fellowship. You need the intake of the word. You need all the blessings and promises that God has given for believers. No wonder the writer of Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as is the habit of some. So apparently in the first century, some were already neglecting the gathering of the saints. Think of all you forfeit when you don't come. I always feel a need to qualify that. If you're on military deployment, we understand we'll be praying for you. If you've got COVID or you stomach virus, please stay home. Don't come. You get a pass. We'll be praying for you. You're away at school. You're working a turnaround. We understand that. You know what neglect is. When you just pull the covers over your head and say, I'm just going to sleep a little while longer. Get here as a spiritual discipline. Sanctification is a a progressive work of God in which we cooperate. Okay, we've been talking about justification. Turn the page back to Romans 5.1. And it says there, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So to be justified by faith means I've repented of my sins and I'm trusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And justification is a legal declaration of God where we're declared righteous because of the righteousness of our Savior, the one we believe in. We add nothing to that. We contribute nothing to justification. That is freely given to us by the grace of God. However, our sanctification is something we cooperate with. It's something we participate in. God's grace all the way through, but we participate in our sanctification Every day we are to turn away from the desires that draw us away from God and something the scripture calls putting to death. And that's what he's saying in verse 13. He says um, in verse 13, "If if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. It's at the heart of our assurance of salvation. He's given us power to change. What needs to change in your life? It begins with conviction, doesn't it? I'm not talking just about being sorry or just really feeling bad about the consequences. I mean, the conviction of, Lord, this has got to go. It's got to go. I need your help, oh Lord. And that's where prayer comes in. And you begin to talk to him about it and say, Lord, I need your help with this. I, I, I need for you to deal with my cold heart, Lord, towards you, towards others. 
uh, I need for you to alleviate the harshness that comes out in my communication with family and friends. I need for you to transform my speech, Lord. I need to have a right attitude about money because I read in the Bible, Lord, in 1 Timothy 6, that a love, a love for money was the root of all sorts of evil. I, I, don't, I don't want that in my life. Lord, I, I deal with debilitating fear. Lord, I'm overcome with gluttony. There's no buffet I can stay away from. I'm always eating beyond the boundaries, and I know it. It's become an idolatry in my life. Um, you, you pick a sin. What needs to change in your life? And for you and I to say, Lord, change us. We submit ourselves to you. We put these things off because the Spirit of God dwells within us. We're not paupers. We're not spiritually homeless people. We're children of the King. Notice with me, fourthly, the Puritan John Owen said uh, many years ago, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And he wrote one of the definitive works on putting off sin, the mortification of sin by John Owen. If by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, how, how do we do that? How do we kill it? How do we kill the deeds of the body? And our sin nature is worked its, its way out in how we live through our bodies. So how do we go about killing it? How do we go about obeying? Verse 13, I think it comes back to acknowledging and receiving in moving forward with this understanding that my old sinful nature as a believer in Jesus Christ has been decisively killed through Christ. While it rears itself up in my, my, my Christian walk, it is decisively dead. I am not bearing the, the punishment or the condemnation for it. And so accepting that I, I'm not destined for this life of unbelief and failure. The old sinful nature is decisively dead is decisively dead, and we lack nothing. Secondly, we need to develop a hatred towards our sin. We nurse it. We excuse it. What I find in Romans six through eight is I'm called to kill it. Now I don't want you to think for a moment that somehow what I'm saying to you right now is easy. And the way that we know with the desires and impulses that pull us in one way or the other away from Christ and obedience should remind us, that's why I need a savior. That's why I need a redeemer. That is my hope. I think, I think another way is to declare Declare without reservation to Christ our allegiance, our mind, our heart. Take my life, Lord, and let it be consecrated for you. I'm at your disposal for righteousness' sake. I think another aspect of killing it is I need to use God's word to guide me and to teach me wisdom. There, if I have poles of sin in my life, there's some things I don't need to do anymore. Right? Everybody tracking me on that? There are some places I don't need to go anymore because the temptation is too great. So the, 
the part of me that says, I can't do that anymore, I can't go there anymore, I can't watch that anymore, I can't eat that anymore, really come back to wisdom. If I'm struggling as a drunkard, I don't need to set up shop right above a bar. That's not where I need to live. And I think other boundaries we need to think through in our life. I think Christians give little thought to boundaries in their life. Boundaries with the opposite sex, boundaries with how they do their business, boundaries with anything. I think sanctification demands that we think about that. If I'm going to hate my sin and I'm going to be aggressive in putting it off by faith in Jesus Christ, I need to see things the way he does. And I need to take practical steps that are going to keep me from falling in the ditch. So let me close with this because I fear some things might have been muddied. Two questions. Do, do these verses suggest that we must earn our salvation? <laughs> it won't be long. No. <laughs> no. Nothing could be clear from the New Testament and certainly from the book of Romans that salvation is not earned. It is a gift of God's grace that is received by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We're talking about sanctification here. We're talking about participating with God, working in our life, doing his good pleasure. We participate in that. The second question would be, do these verses suggest that we can lose our salvation? Let's go on record once again that we believe the scripture teaches the eternal security of the believer, that one is not in and out of salvation. You can't be unborn. The promises of God are, are not based upon our performance, they're based upon grace. So what does it mean when he says in verse 13, you will die if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But in the previous phrase, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Is he talking about losing our salvation here? No, he is not. What Paul is saying is that if you live like a non-Christian, your life is dominated by your sinful nature rather than living according to the Holy Spirit, you will perish like a non-Christian because that's what you are. There's no biblical assurance if I'm living in the far land and I've gone and I find myself in the pig pen and I stay in the pig pen I have no assurance that I'm right with God that I'm safe from my sins that I'm a possessor of eternal life but the mark of a true believer or one who is regenerated in the pig pen is to say why am I eating this Why am I living like this? In my father's house, there's much. I know what I'll do. I'll go to my father and I'll tell him sorry for all the things I've done. And in the parable in Luke 15, the prodigal comes home and the father sees him and uncharacteristically of the Jewish man, he runs to his son and embraces him. And so God will do to you who turn from their sins and follow him. Sarah Jane mentioned something from the baptistry I think we all know about. 
I was living a double life. I love to hear teenagers say that. Because part of growing up in a church, they, they're affirmed. They, we want everybody here to follow the Lord. But there is a working out in your heart of what you believe. And that starts young around here. And the danger of living a double life. Remember what Jesus admonished. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I sinned this week. Does that mean I'm going to die? No, that's not. Are you a, a, a Christian, a believer, is a, a lifelong repenter? That's one of the purposes of our gathering. Lord, would you forgive me of my sins that I may walk in newness of life? Paul teaches clearly that the way of sanctification is the way of realizing the truth about ourselves as Christians and then putting it into practice. So I pray you've been encouraged to do that. Lord, here I am. Help me to walk by faith in you. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Maybe the Lord has touched you this morning through what you've seen, what you've heard, what you um, have taken in from the reading of the scripture, from the preaching, from the singing, from the baptistry. Maybe you're without Jesus Christ this morning. What a wonderful moment this is, that we live in an age of grace, God's definitive word to this generation and every generation uh, since Jesus Christ is God's grace is here. God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, and if you come to him, he will in no way cast you out. Would you come to him? Would you receive him by faith? And for all of us, that we would be Christians, sincere in our heart, yielded to God, yielded to Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer as we prepare to enter into this time of decision and responding in faith? Would you be still with me? Father, we pray in these closing moments that our hearts would be completely yielded to you, honest with you, that you would give freedom in these closing moments. Thank you for Romans chapter 8 which gives us hope. And may we finish strong by your grace and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. If there are needs on your heart, you come.